says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And usually at this point, I'll be introducing my good mate, 60s, as my co-host. But today, I'm on my Pat Malone. As we do another deep dive into a special series of head running on the Tip Sheet, and that's the Parramatta Eels Legends. In previous editions, we've had the likes of Brett Kenny, Steve Eller, and David Lilliard join us for our live shows at Parramatta Leagues Club in the season 2020. And today, we add Nifty Neville Glover to the mix. Famously, or perhaps infamously, Glover is often recalled for that moment in the 1976 Grand Final. And yet it is important to remember that Glover was an integral part of the changing of the guard for the Parramatta Eels that saw the club move from also-rans to legitimate premiership contenders in the 1970s into that eventual golden run in the 1980s. Indeed, his place within the Parramatta Eels' pantheon was cemented in 2002 when a team of the greatest ever Parramatta players, known as the Parramatta Legends, was elected by fans. Glover's body of work spoke for itself as fans elected him to the wing within that team of legends. And on top of all that, he is a wonderful and gracious interviewee, so please enjoy his chat with myself and 60s, live from Parramatta Leagues Club. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're back for our second stint behind the microphone, and our legend today debuted for the Eels in 1975 when he was still a teenager. He then went on to play 120 games for the Eels, played for his state, played two games for Australia, and was named alongside Eric Groth in the Eels Team of the Century. In the years since, he's become famous for his tireless charity work. He's been awarded the Order of Australia Medal for in 2018 for his work in the community. Um, can you please join me in welcoming Neville Glover to the Cumberland Throw Tip Sheet? Neville, it's an honour to be able to uh, chat with you. I'm only a few years younger than you, so I've watched most of your career playing for Parramatta. And uh, you were a local junior coming through the Seven Hills Club. And the early part of your first grade career, you played a lot of centre. Was that your position coming through the juniors or were you a winger? No, in actual fact, um, I was a centre. Um, most of the time, coming, coming up to... Uh, to playing with Toon Gabby at the last junior situation. Um, so, yes, centres the, the situation. But back in uh, 1967, I actually tried out for the New South Wales under-12s. And I made them. And they played me on the wing. Ah. So, I don't know, maybe they saw what was coming. <laughs> Your debut year of 1975 was significant for this club, for the Parramatta Eels, because it's where they announced themselves as a premiership force with their late run into the finals, which, alien to me as a younger fan, required midweek playoffs. Can you tell us what it was like to be part of that team and that journey through to the finals? Well, it was a bit unusual in actual fact because I turned up for training in 1975 on a Tuesday and I'd played six under-23 games... And then I turned up and they said, Neb, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm here to get there and train for the under-23s. 
They said, no, you're not supposed to be here. So I said, what, have I been cut? I said, no, you haven't been cut. You're playing first grade tomorrow night. <laughs> and that's when I started playing wing. And um, I was only young then. And then they put me in the centres and we played the rest of the year, 1975. And then at the end of it, we ended up playing, I think, around about the six or seven matches in 14 days. Um, because back in the days, it had nothing to do about points for and against. If you ran fifth, you might be, there was three of them that ran fifth. We had to play off to get there and yep. take that position. And that's what we did. We got to the final. Not the grand final, but the final. So you played six or seven games in that window. What were you doing outside of rugby league at that time? You played those games in that short cluster. Yes. What were you balancing rugby league with at the time? Um, well, it's, it was a little bit frightening in actual fact, as far as my, my concern. Um, all these people that I'd seen with newspapers and all the rest of it, and next thing you know, here I am, I'm playing for them. So that's a little bit, yeah. And you all had to balance jobs outside of... That's right. There's an amazing run. What I remember of that is all the, the tape and the bandaging that was on the various joints of the players running out onto the field. And the, by the time you got to that... By the time the team got to that last game against Manly in the finals, just the amount of uh, gauze and tape that was everywhere, it was, it was amazing. Um, that season, you were also coached by one of the game's immortals in Norm Proven. What was he like as a, as a coach? Quite good in actual fact. Um, I was fortunate that um, he obviously saw that I was better than an under-23s and that um, I should be up in the first grade and thank him for that. And um, I just went on from there, but he was a good coach. Um, obviously, he was a good player as well. I remember we, we spoke to Bob O'Reilly a few years back and he was talking about what it was like to have Norm as a coach and the difference that it made in terms of the attitude within the team because Norm was a fit bloke himself and um, so that he wasn't ever going to ask people to, to do the level of fitness that he wanted if he didn't do it himself as well. And he said that made a real impact where in the past the players would skimp on some of their uh, physical requirements at training, take shortcuts. He said it, it, that Norm Proven changed that. Led by example. I've got to say this, he didn't change it for me because I always used to take the shortcuts. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just unusual that it's a young kid of 19, 18 years old and here I am playing first grade, So, and I'm thinking to myself, I've got to keep up with these people, and um, eventually I did. Now, I'm not going to dance around 1976 because um, uh, you're a major contributor in one of the most exciting seasons that I'd had as an Eels supporter. You were 20 at the start of the season and pundits were starting to take notice of your ability to beat defenders out wide. My memories are of getting to my feet when the ball would end up in your hands and that goose step of yours. Um, did it feel like the team was gonna have a special year? Was it that feeling all through the year? Well, that that's started early in 1976 and um, 
the, the players themselves. They could see what was happening because they made the semi-final or the final the year before. So they're looking at the grand final. And um, people like Ray Price, um, Michael Cronin, those guys, they're always talking, telling someone, we need to do this, we need to do that. Um, and they led the way. And that season was, of course, the Eels' first grand final. I want to ask you about the street parade that happened. Because as a supporter, it's stuck in my memory. And I was, I was that hyped up going to the street parade. I couldn't even get to school the next day. I was that amped up, ready for the grand final. Because the, the grand final was on the Saturday and the street parade was the, the Thursday night. How do you think the street parade affected the players? Was it a positive thing? Was, did it make the job harder? fronting up at a grand final two days after having such a major event? I think in actual fact that what didn't do the, what they were looking to do, in other words, let's get there and go out and crack, kill them, um, that wasn't the case. I think there was uh, a number of people, I know I was one of them, that uh, was thinking, geez, there's so many people here um, that are going to get there and watch us. And there are people that are expecting things to get there and happen on the field. Um, so, really, I think that was the wrong thing to do. Yeah, I, I look back on it now and I think it's probably something that would have been better timed for after the match if there was a, a victory in that game. Um, but just looking at uh, the game itself, when talk comes to the grand final, there's inevitably chat about the drop pass that comes that, that gets mentioned personally i was too ecstatic about actually being in the grand final for it to be something that weighed on my mind and to my way of thinking manly got the win on the back of the penalty goals because they only scored one try in getting their 13 points to 10 victory but did you take that loss particularly hard well as a matter of fact i i did uh, in actual fact, in 1977, I actually started in reserve grade um, because I just... Everyone keeps on raising it um, and back in the, the days, and they're still raising it now. Yep. Um, I was at uh, Foster at a men of league function and uh, straight away they were interviewing me and they brought it up, 1976. And um, I said, yeah, well, yep. Okay, we can do that. So hands up, though, any person that was at the ground, three people put their hands up. I said, now, put your hands up if you've seen it on the TV, whatever the case may be. Have you seen it on YouTube or whatever? Not one person put their hand up. So they made their opinion. Your opinion is someone else's opinion. Yep. So let me say to you that... Um, I think I was running too fast for the guy that was inside me. Um, the pass itself wasn't the greatest, but... I, down, a, as I remember it was sort of down towards yes, the hip. Was, that's exactly right. And yeah. I was running faster than what he was. But there was two blokes in front of me anyway. But I think a lot of people would have thought that if I would have caught the ball, that I would have got there and beaten them. That was automatic, yeah. And I mean, I, I look back on it and I think in any game of football... You get moments like that, mm -hmm. and um, it's. 
I think a, a mark of any team is how you deal with adversity. So we've missed an opportunity there. But as I said, I, I think I still think that the team deserved to win on that day. And it was, I think, from memory, there was a lot of scrum penalties, and that led to that was, I think, one of the things that led to the scrum penalty being a differential penalty yeah. was you were getting competitions decided by the referee awarding scrum penalties in certain parts of the field. Well, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just don't know what's going to happen. Um, I was a first-grade footballer. I should have caught it. Um, that's the way I see it. I don't know whether it made me famous or infamous. I'm not too sure. <laughs> but it is what it is. That's it. Can't change it. Speaking of adversity, Neville, Sixties and myself have been talking about the impact of those losses in 76 and 77 as what we describe as a sliding door moment for the club. If the Eels had won those two titles, we don't think that Jack Gibson would have been recruited as a coach, which means that the 1980s run of 81, 82, 83 and 86 never happens. Do you have any thoughts on how that plays out as an alternate history? Well, Terry Fernley was there. So if, if we would have won those, um, I don't know whether Jack would have been here because Terry probably would have been staying. Yeah. and continuing on with his good work. Um, it was funny because, I don't tell this very often, but Terry Fernley was talking to me and he said, Neville, he said, can you go across and speak to Eric? Now, it was only Eric's early days. And I said, what do I, what's wrong? And he said, he's not standing in the right place on the last tackle. He said, go across there and tell him where, where to stand. So I went across and I said to him, I said, Eric, I said, this is where you're supposed to stand on the last tackle. And he looked at me, he said, Neville, he said, give me the ball, let me run. And I said, where did you get that from? And he said, you. And I said, oh, oh okay then. So I walked away, walked up to Terry. Terry said to me, is everything okay? I said, everything's fine. <laughs> So it's fair to say that after those two grand finals, you played some of your best football in 1978 and 1979, and you were awarded with rep honours during those years. Yep. How do you rate your form across those couple of years? Was that, was that your best two seasons? Yeah, yeah 19, well, 75 was a, a good season for me, obviously, because I'd only just started grade. I used to be a Saints supporter. Everyone was a Saints supporter because they kept on winning. Makes, it makes sense, yeah. yep. Um, but at the end of the day... Um, yeah, maybe 75, 78, like, I, I ended up playing for Australia, which was unusual for me, where I say, although I played for New South Wales under-12s, but, um, yes, it was, yeah. Oh, mate, it was always going to be hard to top New South Wales under-12s, but if you're going to do it, you may as well play as a senior player Did, in didn't New pick South too Wales. Well. We still got to New South Wales Australia. as a senior player, exactly. <laughs> well, only two of those under-12s played first grade. I was one, yeah. there was another one that played about two games at East, that was it. There you go, carrying the legacy forwards from under 12s. Yeah. <laughs> now, when you, I, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but when you played for Australia in 1978, you became only the sixth Parramatta junior who was playing for Parramatta to wear the green and gold. So it started off, the Bear was the first local junior to play for Australia, then we had the likes of Keith Campbell, Johnny Colt, um, but you were the sixth local junior from the Parramatta club 
to play for Australia. I mean, how, how special was that for you to achieve not just the Australian jersey, but also to do it playing for your junior club? Well, I didn't even know anything about that. <laughs> um, to get there and to play for Australia is a privilege. Um, they, they get paid to get there and play these days. They get paid to get there and play for New South Wales these days. But that's not the right thing. I wanted to play for Australia because Australia, that's where I live. Yeah. And, um, but as it is, they get there and it's more money, more money. Just can't understand it. 1981 was your final year with the Parramatta Eels. You played the Reserve Grade Grand Final on that historic day for the club. How do you look back on that day and your time in the club as a player? 1977 we're talking about? 81, sorry. Right. So in 77 I played Reserve Grade um, Grand Final and uh, we actually beat Manly that day. Um, You got Man of the Match too, didn't you? I got Man of the Match. Yes, it's correct. And what I did was I changed the way that I thought. Um, What I did was in the off-season... I just kept on running, 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 running. So I tried to get as fit as I could. When it came to 1978, um, Terry could obviously see that I'd been training. And so he started me in first grade and, and then went on from there. Like I played for City, I played for New South Wales and for Australia. So um, changed my way of thinking. And you... Do you look back with great fondness? We're not going to mention that you spent a couple of years at Penrith, but do you look back on great fondness at your time with Parramatta? Ray Price is the best player I've ever played with. No doubt about that at all. He's a very funny man. He calls a, a quit a quit. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't get that's there. And, uh, if he doesn't like you, he'll tell you. Um, that's the way he is. But he was a great footballer. And he was a great talker as well. Like, you'd get there and you'd be um, all around in a circle and he'd be talking to you about what you should be doing and this, do this, do this. We need to get there and do this better. Um, and it, that he was very, very good. Would you say he was one of the driving forces at what kept Parramatta up in the finals and a, and, and a premiership force? 100%. Yeah, I, I, I've spoken before about having Ray Price as an immortal, uh, an NRL immortal, I think it's, I think it's well overdue that we have a, an Eels player from those premiership years represented because it's not just the, the fact that Parramatta won premierships, uh, a three-peat that no other club has repeated since then. 55 but it's, years of history there, yep. But it's all the individual honours that came his way as well. So, um, now... Um, Just before we go any further, Michael Cronin was there also, yeah. right? So virtually both of them were bouncing off each other. So Ray would be saying certain things and then Michael would get there and add to it. Um, so it just wasn't Ray himself, yeah. but Michael was there as well. And we, he was a very well-respected person to both of them. Yeah, we've, we've, we've been fortunate to spend a bit of time with Michael Cronin um, we've had a chat with him uh, for our website right when we launched and um, yeah, amazing man and a very honourable man too, like just such a man of his word. Um, now I do have a question which I hadn't scripted but I've just thought of. 
and I'm just trying to make sure I've got my memory correct. Leichhardt Oval. Greg Hartley is the referee. Were you in that game at Leichhardt Oval where we had one of the Eels supporters jump the fence and confront Greg Hartley on his refereeing that day? Yeah, I was there. Yep. I seem to recall it wasn't that you me, had no. a... It wasn't no, no, no. <laughs> but I seem to recall that you had a try disallowed by Hartley, and I'm sure it's that day where he ruled that whoever was running in support of you had shepherded the chasing defenders. When you were out, like, you're out running away from the defence, you're out in the clear, but he's ruled one of the supporting players had stopped one of their chasers from getting to you. Yep. I thought it was a ridiculous rule. As a teenager, I thought, that's a ridiculous ruling. Can I finally get your take on that? Was that going to be a fair try? Well, they wouldn't have caught me. <laughs> I think that's fair enough. <laughs> but the bottom line is, is that um, I can remember once that uh, I was across the line and I don't think I... I don't know whether people remember this one where, where the ball went there, there, around the back... And then I fell over the line with my back on the ball. <laughs> That's true. Yep, yep. And he was the referee. And he got went there and went... There you go. Like oh, that. okay, okay. It was, I didn't knock it on. But you, what it was. You, happened, you possessed it behind your back. Yeah, it was behind my back and just yeah. fell backwards. <laughs> that is the, that's still part of the torso, isn't it? The upper torso? Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Parramatta. <laughs> Speaking of our honours... In 2001, you were deservedly named to the Eels Team of the Century. Can you tell us about how that made you feel, having your career acknowledged by the club as part of one of their greatest all-time teams? The Team of the Century, being named in the Team of the Century. That's all right. Team of the Century. Um, I was very, very surprised when, uh, when it came up that I was the number two wing. Um, and when I looked at it, I thought to myself, well, obviously, hopefully, they've forgiven me <laughs> about the 1976 grand final. That's what I was hoping. And um, the side itself was a very, very strong side. And a lot of them played for a lot of time with Parramatta. Some of them didn't. Um, but I was over the moon in regards to me being selected. I wouldn't have liked to have tried to fit that team into the salary cap, <laughs> that luck. team of the century. <laughs> now, arguably, your biggest honour, personal honour, would be being named uh, and being awarded an OAM in 2018 for your countless hours of community work. You've been heavily involved with the Men of League and other charities. How important is that aspect of your life? Well, that's what I like live for now. The bottom line is, is that I, I go all over New South Wales. Um, cancer, whatever the case may be, if they ring me, then I'll go along and at my own cost and I'll guest speak, probably donate a couple of uh, pieces of memorabilia or something to auction off. Um, but as a prosecutor, when I was a, when I was a prosecutor, um, I did all bar nine courts in New South Wales. I used to work all over New South Wales. So once I retired, what was I gonna do? And I thought to myself, well, I think I might expend the charity side of things. 
So then I started going left, right and centre and I enjoyed it. I enjoy helping people that are less fortunate than what I am. I can vouch for the Men of League as well. The uh, presentations they've done, I, I went to one of Bomber Beard that was hosting, yep. he was hosting, he was a fantastic character to run that event and some of the stories that you get from the game are just incredible. Yeah, well, I could tell you a few stories, but I'm not going to tell you their names. <laughs> That's the number one thing not to do. <laughs> uh, finally, Neville. Um, Just to before I... Uh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. do one. I'll do one for you. There we go. So about two years ago, I was over, well, at the opening of this stadium, and there was myself and Eric Groth. And one bloke came up and said to me, who are you? And I said, I'm Eric Groth. <laughs> <laughs> so he got there and he shook me hand. He started laughing. I started laughing and you know, pleased to meet you. And he says, "Oh, mate, Eric Groth." He said, "You're the best winger I've ever seen in my entire life. You are absolutely unbelievable." Anyway, so he gets here and he turns to Eric and he says, to "Eric, and who are you?" And he says, "I'm Neville Glover." He said, you're that bloke that dropped the ball in the 1976 game final. So I said to Eric, see what I have to put up with? <laughs> oh. Now, well done to Guru for committing to the bid as well. That's a great story. Um, before we do go, there is a game being played today, round 14, Eels hosting the Tigers. How do you see this one playing out today, Neville? Just wait a minute. How do you, how do you see today playing out there? The, the way that things are happening, I actually watched uh, some of the uh, teams playing yesterday and one of the blokes got sent off. Yeah. And I looked at what he got sent off for and I've gone, you get out of there. There's no way in the world. We wouldn't have anyone on the, on the, on the field. They'd be all gone. That, that send-off was a particularly rough call, I feel like, yeah. More than rough. <laughs> but the bottom line is, is that um, the way that they're trying to protect you in regards to hit the head. Now, that's fine. Got no problems with that. But if I get there and if I hit you there first and he falls down, right, that's not my fault, right? But if I hit him in the head first, yes, that's my fault. Um, but uh, I understand they're trying to get there and do the right thing, but they're not doing it the right way. So have you got a prediction for today's score? Is it... The Eels over the Tigers? Have you got a, a margin that you think the score might be? Well, I'm thinking about actually getting on the side and actually go on. Um, might throw in a couple of goose steps, see whether or not I can get a try. But that won't work this time. <laughs> um, well, look, Parramatta have been a little bit up and down over the last couple of weeks. Um, but let me say to you that I think that they'll do very, very good today. Um, I know that uh, the Tigers uh, have got a good side, I've got to say that, um, but at the end of the day, it seems to me that when we play at this stadium, we always seem to get there and pick it up a bit more than what it is away. Neville, it's been an honour to speak with you today on the tip sheet. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us your time. Mate, Ladies and sorry? No worries at all, mate. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the greats, Neville Glover, give him a round of applause, please. Thank you. And go the Eels. <laughs>